is the I Am Redemption podcast, and today we have a very special guest, a good buddy of mine, Mr. Nate Boyer. Uh, Nate and I became acquainted a couple months ago. We've been able to get into some runs. He's been a super big inspiration with me, with his story, finding out all the things that we have in common. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Mr. Nate Boyer. Nate, Thanks for having you? me, Sean. Of course. You want to tell everybody, you know, some people that may not know who you are, a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Um, so I, I, was, uh, I was born in Tennessee, raised in the San Francisco Bay Area, though, for most of my life. Uh, grew up a huge 49ers fan. When I was a kid, they won a bunch of Super Bowls. And so that dynasty was, you know, something I latched on to. My, my heroes as a kid were like Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, you know, Ronnie Lott, those guys. Um, was always kind of a late bloomer, so a little small. Loved sports, played baseball, basketball, soccer, every other sport but football. Uh, and then kind of regretted not playing even at a young age and went through high school, still didn't play. And um, something just bothered me for a long time. So I graduated, moved to San Diego, worked on a fishing boat for a little bit, moved up to L.A. with an interest in film and TV at the time. Uh, and then 9-11 happened mm -hmm. and uh, didn't join the military right away, but eventually signed up and, and uh, joined the Army, became a Green Beret and served on active duty uh, as a Green Beret for about five years. And then when I transitioned to the National Guard uh, and decided to go back to college, I came to Austin, to the University of Texas and, um, you know, walked on, made the football team, kind of fulfilled that dream and eventually found my way on the field as a long snapper. Uh, so I had the opportunity to play football while still serving in the National Guard while I was in school. Kind of did both those things. And, and then, uh, had a, a brief stint with the Seattle Seahawks in the NFL. I uh, got to play in one preseason game at 34 years old, which was pretty awesome. And then uh, got cut, uh, as everybody, almost everybody does at some point. And at, around that time, too, I'd gotten out of the military. So all of a sudden now I'd lost both those uniforms. And, and uh, you know, whether it was camouflage or a jersey, you got that team, you know, right. and, and those were gone. And so that's when I uh, co-founded MVP, which stands for Merging Vets and Players. And I know we'll, we'll talk more about that, but uh, essentially what we do is bring together combat vets and former pro athletes and help them find purpose and identity when they lose a uniform. Because uh, that's what happened to me. I kind of lost my purpose and identity. And uh, so that's been going on for like seven years now. That's kind of the main focus aside from, you know, doing the, the film and TV stuff that I love, storytelling and you know, and that's where we are today. Yeah. And, and it's been awesome to get to know you just a little bit. I'm going to get to know you more today right? Um, over the last few months because I think we got a lot in common. Our yep. stories, inter they, you know, they definitely intertwine. Right. For sure. What, let me go back to when you were, when you're, you, you get into the league, you send your 34. Yeah. What is, what's the reaction from the rest of the team with the 34 year old guy just coming on the field for the first time? What are they saying? Uh, well, I mean, first of all, I don't think a lot of them knew maybe they knew how old I was, but I don't think many of them knew that, you know, I hadn't played football till I was 29. Like, right. So that was when they found that out, that was just like, what? Like, what you, that's crazy. And it's like, well, you know, when you take a thankless job, like long snapping, you have a better opportunity right. to get that, that to that place and have that chance. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, they were all, they were very, uh, I guess sort of appreciative of, of my background and my right. story and you know and it was like that in college too i think a lot of people they'll often ask you know how these young kids in the locker room in texas like you know they don't know right i mean they don't they have no idea about like what 
you know, what real work, hard work is. And I'm like, that's not true. Like, right. They do. It's just different. They right. have a different experience. And there had to be some shit talk going on though. Oh, there's always shit talk. Yeah. And I was always the old guy. Like, so I was the old guy. And obviously with the Longhorns, I was 29 to 33 while I was in college. But when I got to the Seahawks at 34 as a rookie, I was the oldest guy on the team right. <laughs> at the same time. It was the youngest team in, in the NFL right. at that time. They'd been to back-to-back Super Bowls. This, this is when they were, you know, it was Russell Wilson, Marshawn Lynch, Richard Sherman, Michael Bennett, like Jimmy Graham just signed to the team that year. I mean, they had a, a really iconic squad, but they were young. You know, and the average age of the guy on the team was like 26 or something. Right. And, you know, here comes this old dude. <laughs> right. Who's like small for his position and very old for any position. Right. Um, but no, they were great. They were they were very welcoming, and um, I think they saw value in the short time I was there. Only there for about five months, but they saw value in, in the sense of like what I brought to the locker room and just a different perspective, yeah. experience, and and uh, yeah, it was, it was fun while it lasted. Right, for sure. So, what was, what's your mindset like? You're 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 out of the league. You're out of the military. You know, I, I texted you last night that I you know I wanted to. The movie fresh in my fresh in my mind for when we met today but i was i watched so mvp his uh foundation or what what yeah it's a nonprofit organization it's a foundation right. yeah emerging vets and players yep they also has a movie that tells the story of mvp and i was i was expecting to turn into a documentary which i love and i was gonna be excited for but i opened it up and realized it is a, like a full-fledged hollywood movie that you've written directed yeah. produced everything i was like well it's oh cheaper my. to do it that way right okay and then i see <laughs> sylvester stallone's name pop up there as executive producer and i was like holy shit this is like super legit movie and yeah. dude i laughed i cried and you know i know what it's like from the military perspective i played sports growing up and like there was a huge part of my story where you know my background is drugs and alcohol and addiction and stuff like that but you know, I lost when I lost basketball, when I lost the military and stuff like that, I lost myself. That was my, that was my identity. So I'm, I'm going through the world every day, like wondering who, I, who am I? What am I into? Like I was completely lost. And so it was amazing to watch that movie last night and understand that there's other people out there like that, you know, from all different walks of life and coming together and, and doing stuff like that. So like, what, what was your experience or your mindset when you were, you were kind of lost and you looked around and, and realized what it was that you're not, you're not putting on these uniforms anymore. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I've always, I've always been the type of person that I love, I love the unknown. Right. Uh, and I love, I love challenges, which most everybody that joins the military or, play sports at a high level they've got to enjoy the challenge of it mm-hmm. and the competitiveness like yep. i'm a competitive person right um but you know w- what's unique in both those worlds too and that what they share is that you typically peak at a pretty young age at least phys- you know physically mm-hmm. um probably in your 20s and so you put all of your energy into that and then it's over and you feel like you know your greatest days are behind you and you're like a third of the way through your life, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And so th- it creates that problem, I think, where we feel like not only do we have to start over, but it's like the only thing I ever really cared about and wanted to do and, you know, f- f- that that tribe that I found is now it's just gone. Yeah. And I feel awkward staying in touch with them because 
they still got a job to do. They're still mm-hmm. focused on the mission at hand and, you know, going to try to win a Super Bowl or, you know, go uh, uh, be successful overseas on, you know, in the military missions. And so you're in this like weird kind of awkward place where you're just like, I mean, I feel like those are the only people I can connect to, but I also feel very disconnected now mm-hmm. from them. And yeah, I just remember, and, and, and my story is different in the sense of because I played football a little bit later, because I played at a place like Texas and had the opportunity with the Seahawks and all of that stuff, you know, I, I, a decent amount of notoriety. So my story was out there and, you know, you should feel, you'd think like, well, I don't feel alone because people are like, man, Nate, you, you got such a cool story and like, you know, you're a legend and all this stuff. So you, sh- you would think you'd feel right. like you have at least that uh, uh, community, but I still felt kind of alone, even though I know I was, I know I had support and I'm lucky. I got a, I got a great family too. I was mm-hmm. very blessed to be born into that. So I had all these things going for me, every reason to just be grateful for these, the opportunities and the privilege that I experienced, but I still felt kind of, yeah, just, um, just like, alone doesn't even describe it that's why i'm trying to think of a better word because it 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 was more like detached like super Mm -hmm. detached you know like this is still this this thing's right here with all these people that i get and i'm just like right here just off the edge um and i feel like i don't want to crack through that bubble because it's not my world anymore it's not my place you know and then i turn around look elsewhere and i just feel like i don't have anything in common with people it's not true it's just what we feel right and so I was just kind of floating in this weird negative space. And when I say negative space, it's it's not just empty space. It's like literal negative space in my mind. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, I, I was ready to grasp at anything, anything that felt like it would uh, replace that 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 fire inside. You know that you feel when you when you're attacking a challenge or when you're <laughs> training to go try and run hundred miles or whatever it is like right. you know you, you it's something that a lot of us with probably honestly with probably addictive personalities which i think i do have there yeah. um we we crave that like we need we need that that uh, uh sort of sort of connection you know what i mean to to something more than just like our regular day-to-day and and uh we want to feel at least me i, I want to feel like i'm you know, giving my all at something and I'm, and I'm kind of pouring, you know, my life into that. And then when you're, when you're in that place where you weren't prepared for the next thing, you didn't really have your, you know, a plan B aligned or, uh, kind of the next phase situated. Cause you were so focused on not getting cut you mm-hmm. know, from the football team or whatever, then the, the, you, you kind of, you're kind of like in this weird, this weird place for a bit. And I, I, I don't know. I just felt like, I felt like uh, I was just, I was ready to do anything else, but at the same time, I had no idea what that thing was. And then I didn't want to put all my eggs into some basket that I wasn't even sure I want that basket. Right. You know? So it was, it was, it was, it was just like an, an awkward time. And, and Jay Glazer, who I co-founded MVP with, he's the one who kind of came up with the, the idea to bring these two groups together because I was thinking about going back to the recruiter's office, you know, or whatever, calling up people, Hey right. man, maybe I'll come back in. You know, I'm not that old. Well, I'm 34. I could still, I, you know, I, I could still do the job in the military. Yeah. But 
he was like, no, man, like there's so many people in your shoes, not just vets and athletes, just people. Yeah. You know, transitions are hard for everybody um, that that could could use uh, either a program like this or at least some messaging around like how, you know, that we, we can kind of harness and redistribute that energy into other places. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. And you could still do incredible things with your life and, you know, change the world or, you know, wherever. Right. I mean, we all, we all want to, at some level, like we want to belong. We want to make a difference. We want to feel like it matters that we're here and, yeah. and that we're doing something productive for society or at least our families and stuff right. like that. So do what, what you yeah. just said about harness and redirect. I, I literally say that all the time and it goes, it goes in line with, you know, addiction and stuff like that because i put all this energy into the hustle of getting high every day and to get what i need to be okay you know this this medicine that i need every day and when i got sober i still have all that energy all that all that energy and thank god i stumbled into running and, and fitness and stuff like that because i had to put that energy somewhere or else it was gonna it was gonna drive me crazy and you know what you're saying about the the notoriety that that came with your story and stuff like that i think the film did an amazing job of you know i can already see it from the military perspective from a veteran perspective but you think an athlete that's made all this money and stuff like that and like when they retire oh they're good right you know what I mean? but the movie the way the way it paints his picture in that character is you know he did good in the league he has that notoriety and he has money and all that stuff but at the end of the day it's that it's the locker room he misses. It's that camaraderie. It's all that energy. He still's got it. He's got to put it into somewhere. So yeah. you guys, you guys did an amazing job on that. Thanks. I mean, I'll be honest. Like, yeah, as you mentioned before, you know, I, I, uh, I co-wrote it. I did direct it. I produced it. I, you know, <laughs> oversaw post-production. All these things because I didn't have to pay that person if I was doing all that. So right. I was able to make this thing for nothing or next to nothing. But. Um, not only did I have like an incredible team around me, you know, to, to get it done, but the script, the script kind of wrote itself through the stories uh, of people that have been there at MVP huddles, you know, and, and kind of shared what's going on. So like, you know, after the movie's over during the credits, it kind of shows a little bit about the real organization and some of the people involved in like what we do. Um, cause we you know, on a weekly basis, we meet in the gym. We have eight chapters around the country. We meet in the gym, we train together for about 40, 45 minutes. And then we huddle up and it's just peer to peer coaching, open forum, nothing's off the table. You know, we encourage vulnerability. If you got something weighing on your chest or something, you know, you've been carrying around for 10 minutes or 10 years, like mm -hmm. this is the place to lay it out yeah. uh, with no judgment. And then it stays on the mat and we leave, you know, but just like, let's get it out of here. Um, but also we want to share wins and good stuff and all that as well the point is like we have that weekly team you know we've got that locker room that that uh that place where you feel people will get you in the room they understand you you have a shared experience mm -hmm. um and so yeah for for the movie itself like we were when i was sitting down with my co-writer uh, uh garen jones who's a he's a veteran as well he was in the uk military and very exact same problems they're having over there. I mean, it's a, it's universal, yeah. you know what I mean? Same things. But when we were working on, especially like the dialogue and stuff like that, it was on, I don't say it was easy. It's really hard to write a script, but it was came it, natural. Yeah. It came natural because it's just real. The stuff that is said in the movie is like the real words of people. And then some of those athletes like Randy Couture and Tony Gonzalez who were in it, you mm -hmm. know, hall of famers in their respective sports, 
they're just telling their own stories. Right. Like, yeah, I wrote down a paragraph because I kind of knew their story, but right. I was like, I could. I know you. I know you. I know you read the script, and I know you memorized it. Might just tell tell your story. Don't worry about the script. You know what I mean? I I can see that it came through. Like at no time did I ever like, oh, they just got some big name players or a big name fighter to be in this. Like you could tell they were they were coming from a place of, you know, place from their heart. Right. For sure. Right. And I imagine like your your character, you don't you don't play yourself, but I mean, I have to imagine that a lot of that what's said, the feelings, the emotions are what you were feeling too. Totally. Yeah, a lot of it. I mean that that too. And I, when I was writing the Zephyr character, um, a lot of it is things I've felt, said, done. You know, it, it is based on uh, other people. Actually, the two guys at the at the end of the movie in the credits, AJ and Denver. It's based on their backstory, the Zephyr character, uh, and a lot of it is based on their lives um, and a lot of people's lives. I mean, those are all composite characters uh, with with Willie Phil, the athlete, mm -hmm. and Zephyr, the the vet. Um, but even with Willie Phil, a lot of that was stuff I felt and experienced. Mm -hmm. Or other athletes I've talked to, and same with Zephyr, it was like, you know, maybe I don't have the exact same background and experience of these guys, but a lot of it is the same and like the survivor's guilt and all those things that we often feel very much the same. And, you know, uh, we're just not very good to ourselves. Often. Yeah. <laughs> I think men, I think not just, I mean women too, but I think men, uh, maybe particularly at least in those, in that world, because, you know, we, for so long it's been, whether it's just the, status quo or what we're taught you know it's it's weak to be vulnerable it's weak to um be be sad or or to uh, express your emotions or to talk about it with somebody or to say that you need help you know mm -hmm. um that's all like signs of weakness when in reality it's it's actually the opposite i think you know it's stronger to do that because uh, you can't do there's a, there's very few things in life anything worth doing really you, it's it's pretty impossible to do alone you know, on some yeah, level, for you, sure. you have to, you need help. We all need help. And uh, admitting that and asking for it when you need it um, is is a lot more courageous than yeah. just trying to suck it up and drive on, like we say in the movie. And like you're taught, I mean, there's a, there's a time and place for that. Yeah. When you're on the field, when you're on the battlefield, mm -hmm. you know, uh, yeah, that's not the time to, to maybe uh, be vulnerable. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but afterwards, you gotta be, yeah. you know, and even the Spartans, they had like mandatory grieving period when they came back from battle. Cause it's like, they, they even knew thousands of years ago, like this is, if you don't purge this stuff, it just eats you alive from yep. the inside out. Right. Um, the, you spoke about the end of the film, like the film had me on an emotional, like roller coaster or whatever, but that, the end where you see the, the live guys and you see the, you can hear in their voice, you know what I mean? You see the emotion and, and all that stuff. It, it hit hit me hard. I looked over my wife and tears in my eyes, and you know she likes making. Whenever I watch a military movie, it gets to me. Yeah, and she looks yeah. over and starts messing. She's like, "Oh, baby, are you okay?" But man, the, those guys and just seeing them in that in that group and uh, the one gentleman who uh, I forget his name. He looked like he played for the Giants, but then he was in the. He did play. Yeah, in, that's in, he uh, was in the movie. Jerry. Yeah, Jared Bunch. He was a first round draft pick by the Giants. Played at University of Michigan. Right. Um. He played four years and was like, I think he was, uh, uh, he was, you know, he's an all pro, like rookie of the year for the team and all that. And then he got hurt in his fourth year and that was it. Right. Just bam. All of a sudden he's 26, 27 years old. It's over. Right. Yeah. 
And uh, yeah, and that's, I mean, he's, he's playing a different character. He's playing a character named Ray Jones. Uh, he's not playing himself in it, but like he brought so much of his real story right. and life to that. Yeah, he knows what that's like. When you see him really talk at the end and do his little interview, you're like, oh man. And like, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm guilty of it too. I think anybody that's made it to the NFL, they're like, oh, you're set for life. But then this is real emotions and real stuff that people yeah. are going through. Yeah. I mean, very few, first of all, get to end on their own terms. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're the, very, and, 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 and Michael Strahan and Howie Long have a, have a cool little cameo in it. And those guys, in a sense, you know, it was, I, I don't know fully, but on, in a sense, they they, they uh, were one of that one, part of that 1%. They got right. to kind of enter on their own terms, you know. But most of them, you know, even some of the greatest ever, it's like kind of an awkward ending, Austin. You know, whether it's they step away from the game, but it's like maybe they were kind of told, hey, it's time yeah. to hang it up. Uh, you know, it, it's or you get cut or or the injury ends it or whatever it is. It's like it's tough, and yeah. and not all of them are making you know millions and millions of dollars. Right, so many of them are, and and of course it's a great living. Even the low man on the pay scale is still making really good money in right. relation to the rest of the world. Absolutely, but when you are in that setting, and you know, especially if you came from a place where you never had anything, yeah. Uh, and then all of a sudden you got some stuff and you're taking care of other people, you know, I'm trying to keep up with the other guys on the team and the other guys. all that money. Exactly. Right. And you know, you're not, you're just not prepared for it because you're not thinking that way. If, you, if in your mind, you're like, all right, the average NFL career is only three years. So I'll probably, I'll probably be done in three years. If, you, if that's your mindset, you'll be done that day. Right. <laughs> you know, those guys have to think I'm going to play. I'm going to play for 20 years. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? And there's nothing's going to take me off that field. I don't care how hurt I am. Nothing's going to take me on. And then, you know, it's not how it actually works, but you do have to have that mindset in the moment uh, to, to keep playing at that level. So you're not thinking about what's next. You're not thinking about being a veteran. Right. You know, and same in the military. We yeah. don't really, we don't think about, I never thought about it until I was one. And then mm -hmm. I was like, oh, now I'm, now I am a veteran. Like right. what's, what veteran organizations? I don't even know about these. Mm -hmm. you know, this is a thing. Like I, you know, yeah. what, the VA, what's that? <laughs> right. My, I mean, my experience was I was, I was groomed to think there was no life after the military. That if I was getting it was like of, there isn't. <laughs> if I was getting out of the military, that there wasn't. Get, you know, my life was over, and so I didn't. I didn't really get out on good terms, and so that just made me spiral. Yeah, you know, not farther. So, well, how, I mean, I mean, it's all about retention too, and yeah. you understand why. Like, you know, it's 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 the it's. I mean, it's the strongest military in the world, and like national defense does matter, and all that. And if those people that are not only recruiting you but training you leading you that's a good point you know yeah. for them it's like we got to keep these people in you yeah. know i spent all this time and energy and and the government spent a lot of money to train sean and nate you know and they're good at what they do we got to keep them in but then when it's when it is time to leave it's just it's not really to them it's like well it's not our responsibility anymore we don't have, we, we don't have time for that we yeah. got to focus on good. bringing up the next guy and it's good the same point. in same in football it's like yeah. We're so sorry to let you go, but like we got this new guy, and now we got to focus on him because we got to go win. Yeah, you know that's our job. Yeah, and that's it. You put that really well. How so? You as writing this movie, what? How did Tom Arnold come into the movie and like that? Because the the that scene right there is a is a great scene, and like yeah. I can see the emotion of of what uh, the 
the gentleman that plays the NFL yeah, player, Mo McCray, the actor, yeah, he's what he was great. going through in that. Yeah. But like, how did you, as you're writing that movie, how you're like, I think I'm gonna get Tom Arnold, and we're gonna do this fantasy thing. Like, where did that come from? Yeah, no, I mean, when I was originally right, I mean, that character had a different name before we we cast Tom, but I'd gotten uh, I'd gotten an opportunity to have lunch with him back in like 2016, and uh, you know, he'd heard my story and been following some stuff, and you know, Tom's a a farm boy from Iowa, you know what I mean? And he's an Iowa guy football fan. And, um, but also Tom and this story is, you know, it, it, it's public, so I can share this and I won't share too much detail about it, but you know, he lost a nephew uh, to suicide who was in the military. You know what I mean? So yeah. like he, that's something that's really important. Not that he wasn't, you know, respectful of, of, of you know, the military and veterans before, but like to another level, yeah. this was very personal to him. And so, I remember him telling me that story. And so when I was writing that character, that, that fantasy football character, I knew I wanted somebody. I mean, it, it's fun. It has to be part of the comic relief because there's not a ton of comedy. In right. the, it's a serious movie, a serious topic, but like I wanted some of that. Uh, and when we got down, it would get getting ready to shoot it because I mean, we shot this in the fall of 2020. So it's, you know, we're knee deep in COVID. This mm -hmm. is in, in LA. It was right after um, the Screen Actors Guild had past the uh um, they had basically like the COVID protocols mm. to shoot on set so you can still shoot you just have to do x y and z yeah and test three times a week and all this stuff so once all we got all that stuff done i was like man i really want like a recognizable face for this role and somebody who, who has worked in the sports world because he used to he used to host the best damn sports show ever with like john sally yeah. and some other folks and so um you know he's got that experience, and uh, and also he's I mean he's 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 the goat man, and 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 a lot of like some of it I mean he improvs some stuff too, but um, but it was funny. So I'm, I'm yeah I'm getting ready to cast that, and I'm like thinking about different people that make sense, and Tom's the one who keeps popping up in my head. But I was like, man, we don't have anything to really pay the guy. Like I just I'm just gonna ask him and see, and just let him know like hey like it, it's only we only need you for a day. We got, you know, we don't have much and blah, blah, blah. And I hit him up and he was just like, he was so excited to be a part of it. He did not care about the money at all. He was like, don't, he's like, no, no, like I'd be an honor to be a part of it. I love what you guys are doing the MVP. And, and he read the script. He's like, this is great. He's like, this is actually really good. Like, he's like, I have some ideas though. And I'm like, perfect, please bring them. Cause I know whatever you're going to do is going to be funnier. So some of it was probably 70% of what he did was scripted and then about 30% of the witches and warlock Tom. improv no that was written really that was written the improv stuff was um some of the improv stuff when he's talking about uh you know his gambling problems and drinking right. and like you know how many how many times you've been married right. and all, all this right, stuff all right. that was good <laughs> which is funny because it's like Tom has experienced those yeah. things in his own personal life right. and he's very open about yeah, it yeah. so he's you know he's He's making those generalizations uh, that a lot of people would maybe make about an athlete and an, an athlete of color. Yeah, you know, and uh, and that's what his character was just doing, and and it's just ironic. And Mo just rolled with it so well because he stayed in character, he didn't break, and he was right. just like professional. Yeah, like I one wife, you know, yeah, yeah, and uh, one kid. Like he's like, oh, I'm sure you had a lot of kids and different yeah. women and drinking problems, and he's like, never, no, you know. Right. Anyway, you got to see it. That was good. But good. but he was he was yeah he was incredible and and he showed up we got to film an NFL Network that day the NFL was super supportive from the beginning on the project and they helped 
promote afterwards, which is great because they thought it was an important message for their current and former players. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, he shows up and on set, and uh, that's pretty much mostly what we're doing that day is all the stuff with Tom. And you know, like he he had obviously read the script and all that, but he he intentionally didn't want to know his lines that well because he knew he was gonna yeah do his thing and. I just, I haven't been around that many pros, you right. know, especially in the comedy space. I haven't done a lot of comedy related things. And so I was nervous. I was like, oh man, like he doesn't, he doesn't really, he doesn't really know his lines. And like, how is Mo going to handle this? Cause of course Mo's a pro too, but this guy's just shooting from the hip. Like, I don't know. And then as soon as call action and go, I was just like, wow, I am not needed today. Right. <laughs> These That's guys awesome. got it. Yeah. That's awesome. What uh? So silly questions. How many cigarettes did you smoke in the filming of that movie? At least a hundred. Really? Yeah, a lot. There were some scenes where we had like you know you do multiple takes and right. I, that's what I was wondering. And I probably went through ten cigarettes in a matter of like an hour. And I don't smoke normally. I, right, I have it. in the past, right. but like, and it's non-filtered American spirits. Terrible. Oh, is that idea. what they were? Yeah, we should have had the. Movie ones, but ultra, we didn't. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think of the yeah. movie ones. Get some ultralights or something. Yeah, it was dumb. I did. I was putting it together into my head. I'm like, damn, he's smoking like every scene. I know Nate doesn't smoke normally. He's training for yeah. Honor Miler right now. And I was like, he probably smoked in the military. So like, but then I was like, I wonder like how many takes yeah. cut. Light him, light up another one. Yeah, it. it uh, I got pretty lightheaded in a few is scenes it? for sure. Yeah, I'm just like, God, dude, you're an idiot. But once I like. Once we establish this type of cigarette, you know, especially for closer stuff, it's got to match. And, right. I don't know. We, we probably could have figured it out, but I was just stubborn and, uh, it's, you know, it's, I'm in character. So, right. You know, I should be, I should be a little lightheaded. Why not? Right. But, there you go. <laughs> and then, so the the opening scene and then towards the end when you run out of the unbreakable gym. Yeah. Where you're running barefoot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, so there's cars on the road. Yeah. Are, do, do, do you have to get like, permission to do that or are you guys just out there gorilla style doing it really gorilla style that yeah makes, i mean you're, you're you're supposed to but like we didn't yeah we didn't we didn't have we didn't have permits it's gotta happen so, all the time i'm sure i think it does i mean once it's done it's done you know right. what i mean and you just gotta i mean also it's like it's such a small production and i mean we had i think we had one or two times where you know we either you know, talk to a police officer, a security guard, and all that. And they understand. And we tell them, we just tell them point blank, this is the project. This is what it's about. This is who's involved. Because it's mostly, mostly vets. I mean, I I don't know if you know this, but every veteran portrayed on screen was played by an actual vet, like all of them. Oh, okay. Those are all vets. Even Dan Loria, the dad from the Wonder Years. From the Wonder Years. He was a Vietnam. Really? Vet. Yeah. I did not. Yeah. Know that. So those are all vets. And then behind the camera, we had a ton of vets on the crew too. The only department head. That wasn't a vet. Was my uh, cinematographer, the DP, uh, Logan Fulton, who's really good friend of mine. Worked with him for, I guess, like six years now. You know, and so that was the only guy that wasn't, or the only, not just guy. I mean, girl too. They were the only person that wasn't a, a vet that was a department head, and um, and then filling in a lot of the other you know ranks on the crew. And then, like I said, all the vets on screen were played by vets. Um, so like you tell them that, and they're just like all right hurry up you know right. <laughs> hurry up and get out of here but like stuff like that like stealing the, we had to steal a lot of shots and so yeah. that was a big one and we, luckily we got it in one take because i got a big chunk of sunset boulevard in my uh bottom of my foot from running I'm, on that barefoot so was that a conscious decision to run out barefoot 
Yeah, because like I was like, all right, we're we're on the mat, you know, and we're doing our MMA thing, and then like if he's leaving, you know, if he's pissed he's off, not even gonna, if, he's not gonna he's not gonna take shoes. time to put his shoes on, but also like it's symbolic a bit of just like you know wanting to feel that pain, you know what I mean, feeling like he deserves to feel pain, and so it was another uh, reason to do that, and that, and it led right into you know the scene we cut to after that where he's back at the barracks and now he's jumping rope and you know that's a, i won't spoil that but that's a you know intense scene and that's yeah. all like it's something that a lot of us feel you know and, and i had a lot of vets kind of reach out after and be like you know tell me about those scenes and how they you know they're like i, I i'm embarrassed to admit but i you know, i beat myself up quite a bit too like figuratively and literally mm -hmm. you know and not just vets. I mean, just people we, we do that, you know. And right. The self harm thing is, uh, it's a very real thing, you know. And I'm not. I definitely wasn't. There's no intent to glorify it, but it is to show it, you know, that yeah. this is something that people do to almost soothe in a weird way, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? But uh, I don't want to say weird. That's not fair. Uh, in a soothe in a almost a uh, odd way. Yeah, not in a backwards way because yeah. it doesn't look soothing, you know. Right. But, it's just like feeling like you deserve that. Uh, I can relate to that. It's not, it's not correct. You know, it's not real, but we do, we do often feel that, you know, I've had, so I'm not sure if you, I lost one of my, my best friend in the military where we had multiple tattoos together. He was my, he was my brother. He's this little dude. Little stocky dude from the Bronx, Bronx, black dude, was a blood, like all that. And we came together. He was my absolute brother. And he had hung around me so much to where he, I'm pretty sure he got desensitized to watching me do drugs. Mm. And so he had dabbled, but he had never done anything really hard. And he ended up getting stationed somewhere else. I had gotten out. And then, uh, unfortunately, he was partying with some people and mixed opiates and, uh, mm opiates and xanax and uh laid down for a nap and never woke up and dude for the longest time i've, I've carried that like um, i introduced him to this life and, and all that stuff and it should have been me not him i deserve to go and and so i've had that scene i've had multiple instances where it's you know i mean i'm, I'm beating myself up stuff like that and the only way me personally that i've been able to kind of reconcile that is i like i truly feel like you know, I, I believe in God. I believe in a higher power. And if, if if there's a chance he's looking down on me, everything I do every single day, I do with a chip on my shoulder. I have something to prove. And it's to show him that hopefully I'm making him proud. Yeah. If he's looking down on me, I hope I'm making him proud. And I like to think that I am. But like that, that's one of the things that keeps me driving in the directions that I am and, and doing what I'm doing. And it was just the only way I could wrap my mind around it to where I'm not continually beating myself up to where... Totally. I end up in the same place. Yeah, it's something, you know, we talk about a lot at MVP and um, like, yeah, survivor's guilt is, is a very real thing, but I think survivor's responsibility is too. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And the best way, whether we lost them overseas or back home, because I've lost more people back home than mm -hmm. I did overseas right? in, in my experience in the military. Um, the best way to honor uh, their deaths is the way that we live our lives. So yeah. Like I think that's I know you're doing it, and I know he knows that too. But uh, just in case you didn't know, Thank you are you are doing it. Man. Thank you. So, did you have a you know 
did you have a rock bottom moment in in your journey to where you you kind of looked yourself in the mirror and you're like oh, i gotta change some shit i i have to figure something else out because this isn't the way i feel like i've had a few and i'll probably have more right you know which sucks to know that you know that impending doom of the future right but I think that's just life. Like it does happen. But the, the very, the first one that I clearly remember, um, was when I was, I was, uh, 23 years old and it was before I joined the military. And I just, I was living in Los Angeles. I'd been there for about, I guess, four years at the time, you know, and, and nine 11 had happened a couple of years prior to that. Um, and I thought about joining, but I still didn't do it. And then I just was like, nah, I don't want to be in the military. I'm not, I'm not right for the military. Those guys are all marching around with, you know, crew cuts and all that's not me. Mm -hmm. uh, but the real reason I think I was afraid of it or had those doubts is because I thought that I wasn't good enough or that, right. like, I can't have somebody's life in my hands. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not the right guy. Um, so just feeling at that time. Like everything I did was fairly uh, self-serving, you know, uh, and not understanding also that you can still do things that you love and enjoy and you should do things that you love and enjoy, but also can benefit other people's lives at the same time. Like it's not one or the other, you know what I mean? Uh, so I just felt like, well, I don't make a difference in anybody else's life. If I wasn't here, the world would keep spinning just fine, you know. Yeah, my family would miss me, but like, no one would really, <laughs> no one else would. <laughs> right, and that's not a good feeling. You feel like that you don't, you don't make it, you don't matter. You know, you don't make a difference, and you're not, you're not the, you're not benefiting the universe at large in any way by you still being here. And so it wasn't, it wasn't. I never genuinely thought about disappearing from the earth. You know, but I, but I also felt like just that numbness of just, you know, not, not mattering, not belonging. Right. Um, and so I just remember like the rock bottom, that rock bottom moment. I remember like, I just remember, uh, you know, drive, I was driving on the highway somewhere in LA, you know, and I think everybody's had this thought, you know, just like, what if I did just mm -hmm. like, what if I just took a hard right, yep. you know, and drove off this cliff right now? Like, what if, you know, I wonder what would happen? Like, how crazy would it be? Like, what would, would you know, well, what, what would, uh, what would that mean to other people? Mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and I just felt that I felt another overwhelming feeling of guilt for even having that thought. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I just remember like pulling over and, uh, it was dark. It was, it was, it was, it was late at night and, um, I just started like bawling and like screaming at God, like tell me what the to do, you know, like what am I supposed to do? Just tell me, yeah, you know. And that's not how it works. Like you don't, at least with me, I didn't, yeah. I didn't just get this like join the military, you know, <laughs> thing. But it was like, I don't know, maybe it was good to do because it was like I was letting myself feel and let allowing myself, give myself permission to be up to be angry and all those things, feel all that the the roller coaster of emotions like we're supposed to feel. You know, and and uh, and then I, you know, I went, I went, I went home, and I, I went over to. Uh, I think I even went out that night anyway, and, and was with a buddy. And then in the morning, I like wake up on a couch, and that's when I saw the the Time Magazine article called "The Tragedy in Sudan" 
uh, was the title of it. And it was about, you know, the, the genocide going on in the Darfur, which led me to um, going over and volunteering for a couple of months, doing the relief work and really feeling like I did make a difference in some people's lives for a bit. That led me to coming back to the States and joining the military. So like, so grateful for that moment, you know, um, they, it sucks when you're in it, but like, we need it. We need it. We all need to get our heart broken. Like we need in various ways, like those things have to happen, um, for us to become stronger, but also to, you know, go on to do great things. You know, I think, well, I, I know that there is no greatness without a great obstacle to overcome. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we should go out there seeking uh, or not seeking. We should be seeking challenges, seeking obstacles. I don't think we should be trying to put ourselves in a position uh, where, you know, we're, we're finding rock bottom. But like, if you are there, you're not going to notice it in the moment, but like after the fact, be grateful for it. And what are you going to do with that? Because I, without it, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have done the things that I did. I would never have believed it was possible to try out for the Longhorns and all these other things, you know, but that was all, it all came from that, that, moment at 23 or that first of, of several rock bottoms you know yeah. and then they, they they come and they go you know but the good outweighs the bad i think for sure it's amazing how like you know you're a scenario explain explaining one side of the one side of the spectrum and and in parallel is like in the addiction world the the biggest thing our our biggest problem is selfish and ego and all that stuff and you know you not being an addict alcoholic or anything like that the first thing you did when was go get outside of yourself and start helping people and you went you went over there and you started helping people and it led you down this journey and that's what they that's what we talk about in the addiction world all the time is you have to get out of self and that's where my life truly started to change like i was always trying to fill this void in my heart and i'd I'd try to fill drugs alcohol Mm -hmm. women whatever shopping shoes you name it and it would never fill it and then as soon as i started turning my sights towards helping people that's when my life completely transformed and became that and you said something else, and, and I've been saying this quote a lot, and I think Mike Tyson said it. I saw that he said it, but he said, without the without test, there is no testimony. Mm, that's cool. And so yeah. I heard that, and it's just, it's stuck with me ever since. And so, right. And yeah, I mean, I mean that, that doing those things, though, they are self-serving mm-hmm. in the sense of, like, you, you, you feel better about who you are and your place in the world right. when you do that. So they are still self-serving and it helps, it helps us to help other people. Totally. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and so maybe that you, maybe that is selfish too. I don't know, but at least in the process, you know, you're, you're, you're doing some good for, for others and it doesn't, and that is the only way, at least for me to actually fill that void. Right. You know what I mean? If it's all just uh, stuff, you know, or, or, or whatever, like achievements, um, it's not going to do it. You know, right. It's so much more about helping somebody else achieve. And then you're like, okay, that's, that's the feeling. Right. For sure. So speaking of without any test, there's no testimony. You have a big test coming up pretty soon. <laughs> you're running your first hundred mile race. How are you feeling? I mean, I'm as ready as I'll ever be. And I don't, <laughs> I'm not the type of person who looks into things too much. Like I've, I, I say this all the time and I, I genuinely mean it. Um, I like to stay a bit naive about mm-hmm. stuff like that, uh, because if I overthink it, overanalyze it, I'll psych myself out. Yeah, you know, or it, it, there's a, there's such a thing of I mean, people talk about overtraining, mm-hmm. but I you know I almost will overprepare if I let myself, and that, yeah. that's not necessarily a good thing for me. 
you know, so keeping a little bit of an arm's distance with it and, and, and the idea of it helps, um, cause it, it helps me focus on like right now, right. like the next step, you know what I mean? Yeah. Instead of, uh, the, the, the hundred miles that are ahead, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the, you know, the next stride or whatever. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, <laughs> It, it it definitely comes from it comes from uh wanting to do stuff like this comes from you know and i'm not ashamed of it but it comes from insecurity yep. you know it comes from uh, uh maybe a bit of boredom and just wanting to uh, just wanted to squeeze every drop out of life you know what i mean and right. just experience things and and I don't, I, I don't know. I want to do it all. I want to, I mean, we're only here one time as far as I know. So like, I want to see everything and, 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 and try everything, even if I fail. You know? Yeah. Um, so I know I won't quit. I know that about myself, but you know, I don't know what's going to happen. And right. I, I've done the farthest I've done so far is 54 miles. And I did that about two months ago. <laughs> so, uh, you know, but, but Hey, that's, uh, it is what it is. And, and, no matter what distance I've run so far, and I've, you know, I've done a couple of uh, marathon distance, I've done a 50K, no matter what, about 70% of the way through it, you know, I start shutting down a bit, you yeah. know? So I, so hope, hopefully that maintains. Right. <laughs> and it's not until, you know, pretty deep into the 100 miles that I'm starting to really want to quit you right. know, and feel that, hear that voice in my head. But if it happens earlier... No, it won't. So be it, and and I'll deal with that. But I'll, you know, it's just a voice in my head. It's 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 up to me to choose whether to listen right. to it or not. Well, you you definitely have the right attitude and mindset. And my only uh, my best my best advice is just go aid station to aid station. Don't think about mm, the whole hundred. Just think about what how many miles to that next aid station, and then, dude, believe it or not, like smiling, like. <laughs> When you're, when you're, you know what it's like out on the trails, you pass people and like, you could be passing. It was foreign to me because before, before I started trail running and ultra running, I'd pass some, you know, if I passed anybody in anything, I'm like, yeah, motherfucker. Like I'm mad that they passed me. But then I started seeing the way the trail culture was and just everybody smiling and all that stuff. And so where I would, it doesn't sound like you're putting pressure on yourself, which is awesome because I started to put pressure on myself. I mean, a little bit. I am right. a little bit. I'm just not talking about right. it. <laughs> but I, I would forget to smile and I would forget oh, like to have fun with it. And it's like, man, I'm, I'm doing this to have fun. Yeah, it hurts. Yeah, it's hard and all that stuff. But like the amount of the, the how you feel afterward, you know, it, it doesn't pale in comparison to, to anything else. So. Right. Right. Dude, and we volunteered to do it. Right. <laughs> right. Nobody's, for, nobody's forcing me to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Every every distance I had ever done, I remember getting done with a long race. And I'm like, well, I'm good with that. No reason to ever run this far again. No. Nope. And then I wake up the next day. I'm like, all right, what's the next half? <laughs> I guess I'll do it. So <laughs> that's funny. Um, what was so you told me about your rock bottom moment. What would you do? You have a this is the I Am Redemption podcast. So do you have a moment of redemption where you just took a look around and you're like, I'm back. I made it. I'm here. Um, there's probably a lot of redemption moments, you know, but without rock bottom moments, can't have redemption right. moments. Uh, and I think I, I'll stay with that same period of my life. I mean, getting over to the Darfur, you know, I when I made the decision to go, I called every NGO, like Doctors Without Borders, Catholic Relief Services, Child Fund, and all of them said, you, you don't have a college degree, you don't have any special skills, it's a war zone, what are you gonna do over there? And I'm like, 
I'll do anything. I'm reading about how you guys are understaffed and these camps are filling up, you know, and over overflowing. Like you need help. I'm, I'm, I'll fly myself over there, put myself up. I'll figure it out. You don't, I don't want you to sponsor me. I just want to help. Yeah. And they were just like, ah, oh, well, you know, it's not that simple. It's just well, red tape, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, I could have just said, yeah, I guess it's just not on the cards. Uh, but for whatever reason, I, I didn't. And I just uh, decided I was going to go either way. I'm just going to fly over there and figure it out. So now I've got to, I, I t somehow obtained a visa from the, the consulate, you know, like a 60-day work visa. And um, I f flew over there to Jemena, the capital of Chad, which is very far from where the camps were. Uh, and then I talked my way onto a little UN flight and, you know, got out there and then I'm out there and they're like interrogating me like who are you what are you doing here and like blah 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 and I'm like dude I'm just here to help and I'm here now so you better use me right you know and uh and they did and I just remember like that first night after getting to volunteer in the camp and laying like I was sleeping on the ground just like everybody else you know and and uh and I'm laying there like under this beautiful you know lit up uh, African sky and like all the stars and just kind of feeling feeling like I was home in a weird way, you know, the, uh, something I hadn't really felt in a long time, if ever. Uh, and I was right where I was supposed to be in this very foreign place. Um, and just like I did it, you know, like I said, I was going to do this thing and I figured it out and now I'm here. And, and then the next 59 days are what really, you know, what really changed me um, and you know, gained so much perspective and appreciation for the opportunity we have here and the opportunity to serve other people and, you know, anyway, but that, 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 that moment, that, that first night of like, you know, everybody told me I couldn't do this or I wouldn't make it. And they were all telling me this is impossible. It's not something that you can do. And now I'm here. Right. So like, what can't I do now? Right. You know I mean? That's awesome. So I got some quick, uh, some quick fun questions okay, to help sweet. you, uh, help get people to, to know you a little bit better. And then, uh, I'd like to go into real quick about what you got going on, what you got going on right now. So yeah. I'm gonna throw out some terms. You just give me the first thing that comes to mind, all right? Okay. All right. Football. Longhorns. Longhorns. Veterans. <sighs> Journey. Favorite movie. Ooh, that's a good one. The Wrestler. Cool, good one. Mickey Rourke. I love The Wrestler. Yeah. That one's good. United States of America. Promising. Hey, Hollywood. Ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what you're going to say for that one. It's got to be wild. Gym or run? Run. Run? Over the gym? Outside, man. Right. Being outside okay. in nature, no headphones, no, just disconnected from all technology. All right. You don't you don't have a headphone? Never. Me neither. I never have yeah. one. I just want to, I don't care if I'm listening to traffic and, right. you know, whatever the smells all the senses but you're just you're you're present that's yeah. the most present i am is when i'm right. on the run Dude, there's something so healing especially when you're trail running and you're out there deep in the woods on the yeah. trail no phones no wi-fi no cars it's just you and the you on the trail yeah <laughs> watch out for snakes favorite show i just watched beef i loved it beef beef on netflix you gotta watch it it's good so good i'm gonna check it out oh i've been watching this show called joe pickett right now i gotta check which, that out. i don't know that one which you you belong in something like that okay it's like kind of like yellowstone a little bit but okay it's good 
about na- it's nature. It was, uh, he's a, uh, what do you call it? Game warden. Oh, cool. It's pretty good. Um, Air Force. Soft. <laughs> Remember, I was Army too. Uh, no. Teamwork. Makes the dream work. That's not one word. Uh, no, teamwork, it, it's inspiring. Right. Last but not least, Texas or Cali? Texas. There you go. Actually, you know what? What? Ask that question again. Texas or Cali? Austin. All right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Best of both worlds right there. Exactly. What, uh, so what have you been working on now? What do you got going? Yeah, so uh, aside from... So first of all, MVP is still out, and I would love people to check it out. Right. You know, it's important. It's important. It's important story. It's important project. The website for merging vets and players is vetsandplayers.org, and... Please go watch the movie on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, Showtime, whatever you got. It's on. It's on everything, and you do. You do not have to be a veteran or even be an no. athlete to love this movie. It's. It's very powerful. It's based on real people, and it's for real people. Right. Um, but right now, the 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 current project is uh, Discovery Channel slash uh, streaming on Max as well. A series called Survive the Raft. So it's based on a social experiment from 50 years ago. 1973 this anthropologist put 10 people on a raft and they floated from the canary islands in spain to mexico so right. it was 101 days across the atlantic 10 very diverse people from all walks of life five men five women all were married but none were with their spouse so in the original experiment on this journey uh, aside from having to put it, uh, their differences you know to this to the to the wayside and work together towards a common goal they also started having sex. So the tabloids got a hold of it and they called it the sex raft. Okay. So that's where it gained popularity. But it, they didn't, people didn't really understand what was going on. The fact that, you know, this was a, this was a social experiment. And this was, you know, uh, a very divisive time as well 50 years ago. Coming out of the Vietnam War, Watergate, Roe versus Wade. You know, some similar themes to today. Mm-hmm. So we decided to recreate this social experiment uh, in 2023 down in the Pearl Islands in Panama. So we've got nine Americans we start with from all walks of life, living on this raft, uh, floating around, trying to figure out, uh, you know, trying to learn about one another, but also like figure out this competition series, you know, and this game, like really, and and like how, I mean, there's money at stake, but beyond all that, the Trojan horse is like, can, can these people, you know, in a in a time where no one wants to listen to one another and and really have these conversations, can they can they do it? You know, can they work together? Um, can they put their pride aside and and uh, you know what's the most important thing here? Is it um, surviving the trip, being successful? You know, maybe going home with some you know life changing amount of money, or is it you know sticking to your guns and digging in and like being right? Right. What's the most important thing to you? So right. Dude, I, I, you know, you had posted about it. You had told me about it. You had yeah, posted yeah. about it. And then my wife and I checked it out and I started, and it's right, it's right up her alley. So she's, yeah. all, she's all in. She loves on shows like that. And I was, I will be honest, I was like, eh, I don't know if I'm going to like that. Me too. As soon, as soon as we did, I was like, all right, this is kind of good. Yeah, no, me too. I don't, I don't, I don't really watch a lot of reality TV. Right. And, you know, I like documentaries. Yeah. Um, and I love your, your story is incredible, man. I, I got you. to watch that last year, but uh, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't watch a lot of reality TV because it's like, you know, I, and I've spent a decent amount of time in Hollywood, so it's, I know a lot of these are very, they're unscripted. Right. They're not. They're, they're very scripted. They're right. very contrived. 
And but when I was pitched this show and I understood the intent behind it, um, I was like, man, this is super interesting. And they're like, we, we want you to host because of your background, because you got this very interesting background. You've met with a lot of people from Colin Kaepernick to, you know, people in Iraq and Afghanistan with very different culture and customs um, to the locker rooms you spent time in. And, you know, you just seem to be open to different ideas. And you like, you know, I mean, I love to learn and listen to people. Uh, not that I don't have my own opinions, but I'm willing to change and bend them and you know maybe maybe I, maybe I know I don't have all the answers so maybe I can flex a bit too and that's what they were hoping some of these people on the show would do and some do and some don't you know but um yeah going even going out there and getting into it I was a little cautiously optimistic because I was like yeah but like how much is it going to be just set up and all that and at least this show like not really you know right. what I mean I mean we 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 adjusted as we went and there was so much autonomy from the from the cast, which are really crew members on this this uh, right. this raft. Like they got to make their own rules quite a bit, kind of self govern, and um, which is good and bad. <laughs> right. But you know that that made it more interesting to me. And and now that it's done, I'm getting to see the final product. Like I am into it, you know. Right. And it's like, man, everybody loves or hates it, which is great. You know, right. <laughs> it's right. like the reviews are like, oh, this is way too political. You know, and it's like, well, we're not injecting politics. This is just people. This is what happens when you put people with different opinions, extreme, you know, sometimes extreme opinions in a room together. Like, they're going to, if they're willing to and they open up, like, they're going to have some debates. You know right. what I mean? That's what they're going to get into. But then there's other people you think would never work together or listen to one another or even sit or you know, have to lay, sleep next to one another. And now they're doing it and they're right. forced to do it. And, and all of a sudden they become biggest thieves, you know? Yeah. That's good. Real, real quick, you know, you have a you have enough stuff where I could go on for another couple hour podcast with yeah. you. But you, you brought up Colin Kaepernick, yeah. And correct correct me if I'm wrong, but when all the Colin Kaepernick stuff was going on, and he had started to sit on the sit on the bench because he was protesting police brutality, he reached out to you, correct? No, I'd ri I wrote an open letter. That's right. So I wrote That's an open right. letter through the Army Times that honestly I didn't think he was gonna read. I mean, he right. he had a lot going on, and you know every media outlet in the world, you know, trying to get him to come on and say, you know, speak his, speak his right. piece or whatever. Um, but I had a lot of, a good amount of people reaching out to me asking me, Hey, you got to weigh in on this thing. You know, you're a vet and you played in the league for a heartbeat. So you must be the authority on, you know, Anthem protocol during the football games. And I'm like, I am not, you know, right. I, didn't, I didn't even know the whole history about it until, you know, later. Uh, but I wrote an open letter just saying, Hey, you know, this is my experience. This is why these symbols mean something to me because of what I did and, you know, what I volunteered to do. And when I took the oath, it was to defend, defend the Constitution, which includes the First Amendment. And I don't have to agree with uh, what, how people choose to exercise that right, but that is a right that they have. And, you know, as long as they're not hurting anybody in the process, they're trying to make the world a better place and the country a better place. Like, you know, I respect that. You know? Right. And so I respected him and you know and, and and the fact that he was i mean it took a lot of courage to do what he was doing and people have their own opinions about that and i respect them too you know yeah. what i mean um so i wrote this open letter just kind of laying that out and he ended up reading it and, and reaching out and wanted to meet and so we sat down uh before their final preseason game in 2016 and this was just a year after i was up in seattle um, and uh, we had a conversation in the lobby of the team oh, hotel. Was playing for the Niners, which playing for the Niners. Was. That was my team. Okay. You know what I mean? I was a huge Kaepernick fan. Right. I still am. Yeah. As far as a player, like he was, 
he brought us from we were bad for a long time and all of a sudden we're in the super bowl yeah. you know what i mean almost won it and uh and you know i sat in the lobby of the team hotel with him and eric reed and we just had a conversation about i mean they had very different experiences than me and like i never experienced racism and i've never i don't know what it's like to be a person of color you know i never will right um but just getting the opportunity to listen to them and uh and then they were asking me a lot of questions about you know um you know, the, the, mil the veteran community, the military community. And, and Colin finally asked me, you know, is there another way I can protest? I won't offend people in the military. And I was like, no, <laughs> there's nothing you can do that some, I mean, some people are going to be offended no matter what you do. But I think being alongside your teammates would be, would be, would be nice, you know, instead of kind of sitting back on the bench alone. And he agreed. So we came to this place where, uh, you know, he decided, you know, it was his choice. Absolutely. I didn't tell him what to do. Yeah. I, I maybe suggested uh, you know, kneeling with alongside his teammates, but, uh, you know, it was absolutely him and Eric's choice to do that. And they, they took a knee, uh, alongside their teammates that game. And I stood right next to Colin, uh, when the anthem played and a lot of people in the crowd were booing and it was very, it was a complicated situation. You know? Right. Um, but you know, his willingness to adjust, uh, I thought was pretty powerful, you yeah. know? And a lot of people didn't see that or get that, and right. you know, and 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 that was that was frustrating. Um, but it was, you know, I think it was an important moment. Obviously, the kneeling kind of took uh, took the world by storm. I mean, mm -hmm. there's a lot of players in like the Premier League in soccer. I don't know, yeah, still do it. And, yeah. Uh, but anyway, it was uh, it was a, it was I was very uh, fortunate to be able to have a conversation with him around that, and especially that early on with everything and. You know, this was weeks before the election, um, Trump versus Hillary. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And it was uh, divisive times yeah, already. Riled up. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I was one of those guilty parties. I saw him taking a knee, not having known you, not having, and I think that's what gets lost. The media got a hold of it, and it gets painted this Probably. painted this certain way, and you realize, like, oh, no, he actually took the time to sit down with the a green beret and talk about it and come to a conclusion. So he's still doing his best to pay homage to the, the military while still standing up for what he believes in with police brutality. And like that, that sucks that it was lost on me. And so that was when I, you know, when I, when I got introduced to you and, and got to know you better and stuff like that, that was one of the things that, that fascinated me. And so, well, the last and, thing that any of these mainstream media outlets want is unity. <laughs> Cause that doesn't sell advertising right, spots. Right. So it's like, you know, and, and, and some of them, to be fair, some of them did talk about that. And, and, but it, it always seemed to have, you know, some kind of an angle or a yeah. twist or like the headline was not exactly what the article was about yep. and stuff like that. And so, I mean, I get it. It's a business. That's yeah. a business. But like, it sucks that, that news is a business, you know, and, and that it's it's all about, you know, bottom line and not necessarily the the truth. Right. And so... And that's all of them. I'm not calling any specific media yeah, right out. A lot of them are, you know, they struggle with that. And that's mm -hmm. why one of the reasons, you know, I got reached out to by all of them to come and come on and weigh in on the situation before I even met with Colin. Uh, but I chose to write an open letter through the Army Times, which nobody reads, mm -hmm. because I knew they wouldn't do that. You yeah. know what I mean? They'd let me, they, they, they'd, they'd keep it real. And uh, and I appreciated that. Right. And, and they did. And, and that's why, I think that's why a lot of people read it and a lot of people were somewhat inspired by it because it was i don't know what the numbers are but that middle 80 percent of us that are like yeah maybe we lean left or lean right but we're reasonable mm -hmm. you know what i mean and uh and i spoke to I spoke to yeah. I spoke to a lot of them because that's how i feel right
Well, brother, I can't thank you enough for coming on today. It's my honor. I appreciate your time, dude. I'm super proud of everything you're doing. I can't wait to see what you do next. And, you too, uh, Sean. I can't wait to check in with you after this race, man. Go. <laughs> yeah, I bet you can. <laughs> well, I have, can wait. <laughs> I have, we'll have to grab lunch or dinner and you can tell me all about it. All right, cool. Yeah. So, because this is in the I Am Redemption podcast, um, when I say I Am Redemption, it's not speaking to me. Anybody can be I Am Redemption. And so, one thing we do on the podcast is I'll ask the guests to look into their camera. If you would uh, throw out some IN statements, who is Nate Boyer? Woo! Straight in the camera? I'm not good at these. What do you mean? It's not my thing. You're in Hollywood. I know. No, I'll, yeah. look, I'll look in the uh, camera. Uh, if that's how you usually do it. How do yeah. you usually do it in the camera? Whichever you want. Yeah. I'm Nate Boyer, and I'm a human being. Yeah, right, brother. Thank you so Thank much. You, brother. Thank Appreciate you, brother. Appreciate you, Sean. Thank Love you, dude.